I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. Lately, I've been trying to be on time for work. It's a real high bar we try to clear around here. I've actually been trying to be early for work, and on the day of this interview, I was early. I was 15 minutes early. It didn't matter at all because our subject, Rachel, got here 30 minutes early, one half of an hour early. Aside from being much more punctual than I am, Rachel is also about a foot shorter than I am. She's bubbly, she's smiley, she has perfect, gleaming white teeth, toothpaste commercial teeth, honestly, just a gorgeous smile. And it's genuine, too, as we all get settled into our little studio. But Rachel's the kind of person who knows how to fake a smile. Obviously, we all do. I know. I'm faking one right now. Can you hear it? Can you hear my fake smile? But Rachel's been doing it, faking smiles, for a long time. Rachel's been a gymnast since forever, and that's what gymnasts do. It's their job to do really hard things, flip around on a beam that is narrower than one of my butt cheeks, fling their bodies from one set of bars to another, flip their bodies around like head, feet, heads, feet, and to do it with a smile, to make it look easy and fun. They used to tell us that we would get cutesy points if we smiled more or looked cuter or anything like that. So I remember like when I would ever go to meet the judges before I would go, I would be smiling, I'd be giggling, I'd be bubbly, I'd be trying to be as cute as possible because in our heads we believed if the cuter you are, the higher score you got. That's what Rachel has been doing since she was two years old, when she was dragged along to her sister's gymnastics class and thought, hey, I want to do that. And she got to jump in these huge foam pits, and I just got to play with the Legos. And I didn't want to play with the Legos. I wanted to be in the foam pits with her. So I remember that was my first memory in the gym. And then actually practicing was finally getting to jump off these huge blocks, which I'm sure I would look at now and be like, that's tiny. But then it just felt like I was on top of this mountain jumping into this foam pit. And I remember the feeling of falling, but loving it, like loving the feeling of flying for a second before I hit that pit. So that's, I was only like four maybe five when I had my first memory, but I remember it just being something that I was so addicted to, that feeling of being so free but safe at the same time. Rachel didn't just do gymnastics like most kids do. It wasn't like she went to this multi-purpose gym at her park board building where just on the other side of a big plastic curtain, there are kids learning to dribble a basketball, where at 8 p.m. you have to vacate the area immediately because adult rec league volleyball is about to set up and Bill requested his court time two weeks ago and he's serious about it. He got new new balances. They're gleaming. Rachel went to a gym that was dedicated to gymnastics only. A big, huge building with big pits of foam and actual coaches. One where the little kids who are learning somersaults grow up to be bigger kids who can propel themselves across a gym floor, hands over feet over hands. It's serious. And Rachel loved it. Gymnastics made Rachel special. And kids like to be special. 
everyone likes to be special, okay? Me included. And if we can be special because of a skill or a talent, that's even better. Rachel wasn't the best soccer player. She wasn't the best singer. So she went where the glory was. She followed her strengths and her ambitions. Her focus narrowed in on a thing she enjoyed at age four and mastered by fifth grade. And fifth grade, it was absolutely fun. Yes, because we had such a good team culture. It wasn't really about winning, but I was winning because of my talent. So it was less competitive, less stressful. There was no pressure on us. At this point, I absolutely was head over heels in love with the sport. At this time, she didn't have a big defined goal. She wasn't a little girl who wanted to go to the Olympics. I just wanted to flip and I wanted to be good at it. And she was because of a ton of work, because she spent years on the road, at least two hours a day just driving to and from the gym. Rachel spent hours of practice and full weekends at gymnastics meets. And her parents spent a lot of time and money making all of this possible for her. They loved that she loved it. They made it to every meet, always making eye contact with her after every event, pride and joy just spilling from their faces. And in seventh grade, ambitious 11-year-old Rachel qualified to go to nationals. It was in Missouri, which was a big drive, but her mom and her aunt packed up little Rachel and all her itchy leotards, and they road-tripped all the way from Michigan to Missouri. In her hotel the night before the meet, Rachel got a migraine. She had started to get them recently, and this one was so bad. In the morning, it escalated once she got to the gym. And we started warming up on the beam, and I literally put my hands on the beam, and that's when the spots started. Soon, Rachel was in a ton of pain, and she was blind in her right eye. But she didn't want to quit. I was just like, I have to make this somewhat worth it for the people who drove all the way down and... I remember my dad was working like double shifts so my mom could do this. So Rachel still did her main event, beam, even with just one good eye. Shockingly, she didn't do very well. Got an 8-9, which is a horrible score. (laughs) Awful, right? Yes, 8.9 out of 10. Yes, that is basically an A minus B plus. But when you're a person who is used to winning, to getting perfect scores... Anything less than perfect is failure. And I remember leaving the arena and throwing up right outside of it because my head hurt so bad. And, and I think from that moment, I put pressure on myself throughout the sport. So Rachel started working with purpose. She wanted to get back to nationals and win. So she worked all year. But the next spring, right before regionals, Rachel's home gym closed. It was traumatic for her. That was the place where she had fallen in love with gymnastics. That was where she spent hours and hours and hours of her life so far. But there was another gym she could attend. It was two hours away. That means four hours in a car every day just to get to and from practice. But this gym was the best, a place that was known for creating champions. And that's what Rachel wanted to be, 
a champion. I actually remember it to a T. I remember, because these are the girls that I would look for at meets. These are the names that I knew. And I remember seeing all the faces to the names, and they were not in these glitz and glam leotards. I'm like, oh my goodness, they're human. They're not robots. They, they practice. They aren't just this talented on their own. And I mean, these people win every meet they go to. Second place is no option for them. So I was like, I have to work double as hard just to earn my spot here. Rachel worked hard at that gym, and she belonged there. It was a serious place. The athletes were expected to work hard and to respect their coaches. Which is why one Friday, when a teammate of Rachel's rolled her eyes at their coach, all the girls were punished with extra drills. And all of the girls were told to be at the gym early the next day. This was an important time. They were all getting ready for regionals, which is how you qualify for nationals, which is where colleges scout you. So Rachel got there the next morning, bright and early, feeling stiff and sore. I remember looking at like the line on the floor that I usually warm up my skills before I go on the beam um, and just being like, I I can't, I can't do those numbers today. I'm just going to chuck it on the beam. It'll be fine. Less numbers. My back will feel fine. Um, And I remember bending forward for my back tuck and hearing a crack. And once you commit to a skill, you have to just finish it. And so... I bent forward, I heard it shift, I heard it cracked, and then I set, so that's where you just like throw back for the back tuck and it cracked again. I was flipping, so I was midair, it was broken twice, um, and then I remember landing like hands first on the beam, so my back flip was so short to the beam, like my ponytail grazed it, and my hands came down on the beam and it shifted again when I rolled onto the floor, and it's quite the drop if you're like laying <laughs> um, on top of the beam, and I just remember laying there thinking like, it's it's broken, it's my legs are tingling, everything is is numb. And I remember John being at my side in like two seconds. He carried me over to the floor and he was like, okay, we're not getting up, let's get you some ice. Um, and that was when he was like, we need to get you to the hospital. Um, and he called our team's physician, which was Larry Nassar. That name might sound familiar because... Larry Nassar, or Nasser, however you want to say it, he was a doctor of osteopathic medicine who treated hundreds of female athletes. And he was convicted of child pornography and first-degree criminal sexual conduct, leading to multiple sentences combining to well more than 100 years in prison. He was Rachel's doctor at the gym the doctor she was sent to when she heard a crack and lost feeling in her legs. Take a little break here. BRB. So we're back. 
15-year-old Rachel had maybe just broken her spine on the beam at gymnastics practice, and she was immediately taken to her doctor, Larry Nasser, which wasn't unusual. Most of the girls at Rachel's gym saw Larry, actually. They saw him during practice. They saw him on weekends, sometimes even at his house. The first time I saw him was um, at Twistars in their little back gym, but um, it was like a little storage unit where they kept all the recreational equipment. But I remember there being like 20 other girls in that room at the same time. It was Larry who treated Rachel's hamstring when she hurt it three years earlier. And it was Larry who saw her when Rachel heard that crack. Larry was the doctor they went to for the more routine injuries, sprains, strains, and the more serious ones, too. I remember Larry's first question to me was, do you want to... Do you want to go to regionals? Do you want to go to nationals? I mean, what what are your goals? Um, and he did, like, the test where he, like, runs his hands down my spine, and he was like, we know what's wrong. Do you want to confirm it? And so it was basically like, do you want to compete at regionals and nationals? And sophomore year is such a critical point for college scholarships, and I knew I had people watching me. I was I was the number one recruit at that point. It was, I had eyes on me, and if I didn't do regionals and nationals, that would be that would be it, that my my career would be done. And so my goal of getting a college scholarship would basically be over. And so I was like, I have to. I have to do regionals. I have to do nationals. I have to compete. And so he's like, okay, we're not going to get an x-ray. We're not going to get an MRI. You're going to take three days off, and then we're going to come back in. Rachel took three days and some ibuprofen for her broken back for her broken back. A doctor had told her that was fine. A doctor told her that the only thing standing between her and her goals was her own tolerance for pain. That what it came down to was her own ambition. What did she want? And this isn't just any doctor. This is the doctor for the gym. This is the doctor for hundreds of other female athletes that Rachel had looked up to and competed against and alongside. This was a doctor for the Olympics. He's a doctor that they all trust and that they all love. So he came to our gym every Monday night, and I used to think, oh my gosh, he's the nicest person. He volunteers his time. Practice would finish at eight, and he would stay till midnight helping all of these girls, because there's hundreds of girls at Twist Stars with injuries. And so I used to think it was so saint-like, like, oh my goodness, he's volunteering. This is the doctor who donates his time to treat these girls. There's no reason not to trust him or his judgment or his ibuprofen, so that's what Rachel does. She ignores her body and her parents, and she listens to the doctor. And Larry does treat her the same way he treats all the other girls, the same way that he had actually treated her hamstring injury when she was 12. The first meeting, he said, okay, like, I can treat all of the muscles and ligaments around the injured place, but if any of them are tight, you're going to feel pain. And so he would always tell me, like, you have muscles that I just can't massage from the outside. They, I have to, he called it um, internal manipulation, and it would be where he would massage your muscles on the inside that he couldn't get to to relax the muscles around your injury. He justified it as if you want to be in little or less pain, the muscles around it have to relax. And the only way I can do that is from the inside. 
and he and then with the introduction he would always say okay now you you can't wear obviously you can't wear your pants when you're coming to see me you have to wear keep your leotard on and I remember it being so gross that I was like it was after a five-hour practice I mean I was sweaty and I was just like I don't under I don't want this like that I feel uncomfortable as a 12 year old that this is part of my treatment when I feel disgusting and it feels like you're making it more disgusting. So it was just like, I knew at that point what he was doing was making me uncomfortable, but he had justified it as you'll feel less pain. And I knew I was in so much pain. So I was like, oh, anything to lessen this. Right. Also, it's like, he's a doctor. Right. You're a child. Also, every other girl is getting it. Yep. And every other girl's in this room and they're not stopping it. So. So it must not be that big of a deal, you know? And if all these girls are still competing and still winning, It must be working. This normalization, this was a key part of the grooming that Larry did with the girls. Just make it a part of the routine that an authority controls. Nothing to worry about. The girls called it the treatment. Us as teammates would talk about it. We'd be like, are you getting this treatment too? We had a lot of torn hamstrings. We had actually a lot of spinal fractures. So we were like... (laughs) I had my my best friend actually broke her back at the like the same week that I did. So I remember like asking her, like, are you getting this treatment? Like, is this making you uncomfortable? And she was like, yeah, but it's Larry. I mean, he does this to all the spinal fractures. So it was just like super quick, brushed under the rug, totally normal. Totally normal. But Rachel had noticed something with the treatment, something that didn't seem quite normal, something that gave her pause. When I broke my back, I was like, oh, this is this is strange. I'm getting the same treatment for a hamstring for a fractured spine. And like those those dots did connect for a second. But then I was like, oh, well, it's probably just same muscles, same area. I, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I'm who not knows? A you know who knows? A doctor. <laughs> a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rachel pushes through the pain of a broken spine, which just that sentence alone, holy cats. And you know what? She does more than push through. She makes it look easy, like she always does. Just months later, Rachel competes in regionals, which is what she was practicing for the day she broke her spine. And I remember at regionals looking up to my parents like I did it, like I did what I wanted to do. And I remember them almost looking like dang it, we've got one more. Like, we've got another meet. And and they were so supportive. I could tell that they were happy for me, but part of them was like, I was hoping that you weren't going to make it so we could heal. And I could see that in her face. But uh, in my teenager brain, I was like, yep, <laughs> proved you all wrong, <laughs> type thing. So. so, with a broken spine, she qualified for nationals. In California, which when you're from the Midwest, that's a big deal. That's a heck of a trip. And on the mat and the beam at Nationals, Rachel is incredible. She looks like the star that she is. A girl who is already being scouted by colleges. A girl who is out there competing for a future where college could be paid for. Off the mat, off the beam, Rachel is in her hotel room laying down. It hurt too much to walk any more than she absolutely had to. I was on a lot of Adiprin, a lot of Metaproxen. I was just, like, taking all of it because I couldn't bear the pain. Um, and I I remember my legs were starting to go numb at that point. Um, and so I would put Icy Hot on all down my legs because, like, that tingling sensation 
was what I needed to like feel my legs. How did you do at nationals with a broken spine? Pretty good. <laughs> like how it's pretty good. Uh, Better than an eight nine. <laughs> I think that year I took maybe like sixth all around, which is pretty good at nationals. So I was I was really happy with my results. Um, especially with all the pain that I was in. Yeah. Honestly, that Nationals is a blur because I was so medicated, but. <laughs> After Nationals, Rachel and her parents did get a second opinion. They got 10 second opinions. Opinions that confirmed that she had fractured her spine. But none of these doctors got it like Larry got it. They kept telling Rachel things that she didn't want to hear. I remember a lot of them said, how did you walk in here today? You shouldn't have feeling in your legs because your spine has crumbled into your spinal cord. And it's just like, I, well, I'm walking. I'm here. Like a week later, I was fitted for this huge cast, which was horrifying. I mean, it was just like plastic and it went from just under my bra line. So I couldn't wear a bra because it like cut into right there all the way down to like above my butt. It was like this huge turtle shell of a thing um, that I had to wear all the time and I had to sleep in. And I remember it being close to the end of the school year because so nationals happens in like April and I had to wear it for a good three months. At this point, Rachel's identity is that she's a gymnast. She's the girl who used to leave school early in her gymnastics uniform just to get to the fancy gym that was two hours away. She's the girl who just went to California and came back with medals, trophies. She's the best of the best. Except now she's a girl in a back brace and sweatpants, walking gingerly through the hallways of her high school. And high schoolers are not always tender to the suffering of their classmates. And it was like a joke to them. And so then that really tore at my self-confidence as well, because I was like, I legitimately can't fit into my dresses anymore. I'm not working out. I'm in this turtle shell. I'm going to live in my sweatpants and stuff. And so that was a really, really hard time for my mental health. I think that's when I first started developing like a little bit of depression and anxiety, because I was worried about what other people thought. And... um I was worried about my and talent, and I'm in high school, and it was just, I was already going through a lot, and it was just, oh, it was a horrible time. <laughs> this period of time actually made Rachel more loyal to Larry. Because her body was broken and Larry was the only person who would tell her that everyone else was wrong. She could do this. She will be okay. She will compete again. Larry continued to treat Rachel. He continued the treatment. Rachel was anxious. Since eighth grade, she had had scouts constantly watching her. She'd been aware of that. That in the stands, tucked in among all the parents and family members, there were scouts for the major university gymnastics programs. They kept track of her scores. They were evaluating her. If you follow gymnastic, college gymnastics at all, the SEC is very talented, very good. They are oftentimes at the top of the national podium, that type of thing. And um, they had politely ghosted me. Some of the Big Ten schools brought me to their campus and said no. And that was, those were my two hard rejections where I was like, why, why bring me here? Why do this to me? One day, recruiters from the University of Minnesota came to Rachel's gym in Michigan to watch her practice. 
Rachel had just lost the back brace and she'd been cleared for the gym. And all she did that day, all those recruiters saw her do was hang from the bar. That's it. So for some reason, after that, um, I got the call from Minnesota that said, we want you to come out. And that was after they had seen me in my turtle shell, after they had seen me do one thing for five hours. Um, and I rem- remember going to their campus and them saying, we are so enthusiastic about your passion for the sport that you still have fighting this injury. We could see it in your face. We could see how happy you were just to be in the gym. And that's the kind of culture we like to have here, where it's just girls that love the sport because with love comes passion and with love comes success. And so they were drawn to that part of my personality that no other college was. And so I remember sitting down in their office after after their big day and I was like, oh, great, here we go again. <laughs> just going to tell me no. But they sat me down and they were like, you are absolutely everything we're looking for. We would love to offer you a full ride. A full ride. She did it. Broken spine, turtle shell, and all. It was all worth it. Every hour spent in a car or a gym, every sprain and strain and blister, every itchy leotard, every treatment, it all paid off. Rachel was so grateful to her teammates, to her coaches, to her parents who had done so much, and to Larry who had kept telling her to just bear the pain and get the treatments. He was right. And that elation she felt quickly became something else. Pressure. And then it became more, okay, I have to pay these people back. And I, the only way I know how to do that is with success in the sport. I have to, I've gotten my scholarship, but now I have to keep earning it. I can't lose it. So it was... It was more that pressure than was put on my shoulders of, okay, you've, you've bought me as this state fair animal. Let me continue to show you my worth and that I was a good investment. We'll be right back. And we're back. Rachel had stuck with gymnastics because she knew it could be a ticket into college. She had broken her spine. She'd been in a back brace. And she'd still gotten a full ride. And her doctor had told her that the only thing that could hold her back was her, her weakness. I kept competing because Larry was like, you're not doing any further damage. I mean, it's broken. It's basically dependent on your pain tolerance. If you want to do regionals and nationals, you're not going to hurt yourself. It's just how much can you bear? How, how tough are you? And I remember him asking, how tough are you? And I'm like, well, I'm the toughest in the world. Like, I... <laughs> Rachel spent junior and senior year of high school still competing, still winning, still desperate to prove to everyone that she was strong, that she could do it, that she was worth the investment so far and would be worth it once she got to college. Senior year, I never lost a meet. I won every single one, um, and I was the number one recruit in the nation. So I was, at that point, I had not only proved people wrong, I had made them jealous of what they missed. And so it was... 
that was, I think, my favorite year of gymnastics was my senior year because I was undefeated and I had just earned my spot and I was really satisfied with the way I was competing. So that was my favorite year. And um, what is your pain like? Oh, <laughs> horrible. Oh, it's horrible. Um, there's, I couldn't sleep unless I had two pillows between my knees and I was rolled on my side. Um, I could never use a pillow on my head because it just shaped my spine just right where it was in a lot of pain. Um, I remember one day at school, I was just going to the bathroom. I remember I was like sitting down and it cracked in a way that it just brought me to my knees. And so I remember legitimately being stuck in the bathroom stall, had to call my mom to come and get me because I was stuck in a seated position, couldn't stand, couldn't move because the way that my spine had shifted it had locked and so I needed to go to the ER get like a numbing shot they had to put it back in place um, but it was pain every day I couldn't climb more than one flight of stairs without my legs going numb but I was just ignoring it and I had all the warning signs of Rachel this is a serious problem but I was just ignoring them because I was winning I was I was doing exactly what I needed to do to make me happy and so none of none of the pain meant anything to me was it still fun? Um, it's fun to win. It was fun to win. It was not fun to practice. It was not fun to be in that much pain. It was not fun to have all that pressure on me. But it was, it was fun every time I was at the, the top of the podium. And it was fun every time they called my name for first place. And so that made it worth it. But I wouldn't say the whole sport at that time was fun. <laughs> We are absolutely thrilled to have Rachel Hayes joining our team. She is a high-level athlete that we expect to help us on every event, but she is also an exceptional student and just a fabulous person, just a quality person that we think will really add so much to our team in so many different ways. So we're just so excited to have her and to have a gymnast from Getters, which is such a high-level gym. And, uh, When high school was over, Rachel packed up and headed off to college at the University of Minnesota. Um, What are your specific goals for the season? Uh, Definitely going to nationals again as a team, placing top three. It's a a team goal and I'm really... Biggest difference you've noticed so far about club and college gymnastics? It's definitely team here. Uh, In club it was more individual, you won for yourself did it for yourself and now it's a team and I really like this atmosphere. Minnesota. Minnesota was far from Larry. It was a new team, a new atmosphere, a new group of team doctors. And these doctors, they had a different plan for Rachel. And it seemed to not be working like Larry's had. I noticed when I wasn't getting the treatment in college, they cut out floor. I wasn't allowed to do floor anymore. And then they cut out bars. And I wasn't allowed to do bars anymore just because I was in so much pain. And I was like, it's because I'm not getting the treatment. I don't care if, like, they're not educated enough. So I associated my ability to do gymnastics because of Larry's treatments. Rachel advised her new school doctors to reach out to Larry assuming he would tell them about the treatment and she would get it and then be able to compete again. Her doctors got in touch with Larry 
and Larry outlined for them the work he did with Rachel. But he didn't mention the treatment, which Rachel thought was kind of strange because wasn't the treatment what helped? Rachel still saw Larry when she went back home for breaks and holidays, and he would do the treatment. But her back kept getting worse. In 2015, Rachel was a sophomore in college. I was in so much pain. So I remember like that being my breaking point. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I, it is affecting every, I can't go to class. I can't take the bus because I can't even walk to the bus stop. Like it's, it's that bad. I can't lift my feet up anymore. I've got no feeling in my knees. It had gotten to the point where instead of just putting Icy Hot on, I, first I would splash on hot water to like open up the pores. And then I would put Icy Hot patches on, tape those on as tight as possible. So that it was like cutting off circulation to the point where I felt the pain a little bit. Um, and that pain was the sensation I needed to do my gymnastics because it was better than nothing. Um, and I, and that, like that in 2015, I realized this is stupid. Like, why am I pouring hot water on myself to feel this pain, to feel my legs enough to flip. I mean, on a four-inch beam. This is, this is idiotic. What am I doing? Rachel needed to talk to someone, someone who gets it, who gets her, her pain, her ambition. So Rachel did what she always did when she was having pain. She called Larry. I was in my apartment. I was in my apartment, and I remember it clear as day, because whenever... I talked to Larry. It was like talking to a friend. And so it started out so casual. I was just sitting on my bed. And then all of a sudden he started getting so cold. And so then I remember pacing. And I remember him just being silent when I was telling him like what hurt, what I was doing, what wasn't working, what was. Um, And his response was just so cold. He's like, okay, it's time to quit. And then I remember feeling my chest burn when he was telling me, this is it. Like You're done. And I, I was just in shock. I was like, wait, wait, wait. No, you're the one who believes in me. Like, what? what's going on? And he's like, well, Rachel, I mean, if you can't do it anymore, I have always told you that it's just what you can bear. So maybe we're done. And I remember thinking, no, Larry, you've always told me that I'm the strongest person you know. Like, what? I am strong. Like, just just tell me what I can do. And he's like, no, this is it. This is it's time to quit. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, like, I left. I hung up that phone call and just started crying and crying. And then I think that was when I fir- had my first real very serious panic attack was when I hung up that phone and was like, Larry does not believe in me anymore. Larry told me to be done. And I didn't know where to go. I mean, it felt like my whole identity had been ripped from me in that moment. What was the next thing you did? What was your next phone call? It was probably a good hour later (laughs) that I just like got up from the floor and was just like, okay, I need to call my parents. I need to talk to them because they were the next people who always believed in me. Um, and they also trusted Larry and they were like, Rachel, whatever Larry says, we have to, we have to trust. Um, I mean, he's the best in the world and he's always been very honest and upfront with you. If he says you're done, you're done. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to my trainers. I'm going to go talk to my coaches, see what we can do. I'm not done yet. This can't be it. Like, after all that she's been through, this just can't be it. This can't be how it goes. There's got to be a way around this, right? Rachel went to her trainers at the university and told them what Larry said, told them that Larry said it was time to be done and that she wasn't ready. And like one does when they're in a period of grief, Rachel began bargaining. 
can we compromise? I still got two years left. Can I just have one? Can I just have one more? I can't end 21 years of gymnastics with a phone call. I mean, it's got to be, I have to have closure. And so I remember them only letting me do two events that year. And I had one more year and I did not do a single routine in the gym and I would only compete. So it was just, everything was mental training. Everything was visualizing. They, they completely cut out my numbers. I did no strength. I did no conditioning, no endurance, no routines. And they just let me compete. With no training, none, zero, nothing, with only visualization and muscle memory, Rachel got her career high on beam that junior year. A 9.950, which, rounding up, is a 10. I'd count it. What Rachel didn't know when she was on the phone with Larry was that an investigation for sexual abuse had started for Larry Nasser at his university. It was not the first investigation, but Rachel thinks that his abrupt response to her was similar to one he was giving to hundreds of other girls to whom he had given the treatment and from whom he was now trying to distance himself. Rachel had heard rumors about Larry before, but she had always brushed them off. No, come on. Where people would just like say like, Larry Nasser accused, but I'm like, mm-hmm. accused of what? Like what? Right. What's the story here? Tell us what happened. Rachel was not alone in this. A lot of the girls who got the treatment didn't believe the allegations against Larry. He had explained the treatment, even in PowerPoints he wrote to exonerate himself in an investigation as a medical treatment, a form of myofascial release. Larry had hoodwinked the whole entire community, hundreds of girls, even more grown-ups. And then one day, Rachel read something, something written by another one of the athletes that Larry had treated. And this, this thing she reads, it's different from the other stuff. I was sitting in my bed and scrolling through Facebook, and I remember there being an article that says gymnasts tell story of abuse. And I was like, oh, another one. But I clicked on it, um, and I read it, and she was like the first person to truly give a detailed account of her abuse. And she would go, she would, like, describe the treatment and how he introduced the treatment. I'm like, oh, that's how he introduced it with me. Like, she's just oblivious, like, to the the medical part of it. so you read it as a skeptic. As a skeptic. I was truly on Larry's side at this point. And and then she went into like the details of the abuse and the ways it made her uncomfortable and then the red flags that she had. And I was like, wait a second. I had these red flags. Why didn't I see these? And I kept reading them more and more and being like, wait a second, that's my treatment. Wait a second, this is wrong. She's attached all of these different research articles that you need to wear gloves. You need to ask for consent. You can't just tell us what we're doing. And all of the red flags of he always required us to wear leotards to our treatment and we weren't allowed to like change into our normal clothes. And I remember being like, that was weird. And that was weird that he didn't tell my college coaches this. And like all the red flags came popping back up. And at the end of the article, I remember being like, oh my gosh, I am a victim of Larry Nassar too. If she's a victim, so am I. I mean, if, if this is qualifies as abuse, 
then I was abused for six years. And I'm not on his side, and he might be a monster. This man that I had put all my trust in, that had gotten me through all of this, that I had once seen as saint-like, is, is now a monster. It was definitely another chest burning, turning red and blotchy, face was on fire, but I was cold, sweating type of moments. It was, I don't know what to do next. Like, what do you do once you realize that has happened? I mean, it's different from like an experience that you've just, just had of where I had six years of that. How, where do I do next? Like, I can't go to the doctor and report it. I mean, it's, it's not applicable anymore. I can't. I can't do that. Where where do I go? I can't tell my parents. I mean, they trusted him maybe even more so than I did. Um, What do I do next? And so it was like I almost felt lost and angry and anxious. And I would just it just sunk into this dark hole of I'm stuck and I don't know what to do. Rachel wasn't the only woman feeling like this, feeling like a giant hole had just been blown through her entire world. Woman after woman after woman came forward. Investigations were launched. And finally, Larry's time was up. Larry Nasser went on trial for possessing a lot of child pornography and for abusing hundreds of women and girls. At his abuse trial, 156 women testified to his abuse. For some of them, it started as young as six. There were swimmers, rowers, softball players, dancers, and so many gymnasts. They outlined a pattern that had been going on for more than 20 years. Rachel participated in that trial. She wrote a letter to Larry. The first draft had been angry, very angry, understandably, but looking at that letter and imagining all of the other letters that are going to be read that day, imagining Larry hearing all of this, imagining him just shutting it all off emotionally, Rachel didn't think that her angry letter would sink in. She didn't think that Larry would hear it. And she didn't want to make this moment about him. And so my speech was my step to forgiveness because I knew if I didn't forgive him, I would be still that angry 60 years down the road. So he needed to know that I forgave the human part of him and the monster side will be forgiven later. That new letter, that rewrite, that was Rachel's way of making it about her of reframing it away from the horrible narrative of the abuse and then the anger. That is how she needed to do it and what she needed to say to him. Gymnasts make hard things look really easy. (laughs) Do you think a part of you still has that mentality? Absolutely. And wants to like be like, and now I made it into this thing. Like and even in my speech I put Larry, you always told me that I'm the strongest person you've known. You've just given me my next obstacle to be stronger than. I mean, that's like a direct quote from what I said, because I was like, you've always believed that I could overcome anything, and thank you for giving me my next hurdle. So it was just the gymnast mentality of I'm better than this. I'm stronger than this. I can do this. 
making the hard things look easy, even though they are so far from easy. (laughs) It's not easy. None of it is. And the effects that Larry had on Rachel are immense, and they are forever. Because it isn't just what Larry did to Rachel, it's what he was not doing for Rachel. Larry was the team doctor, and she and her parents trusted him, like hundreds of other athletes and their parents trusted him, to keep her healthy. A brief aside about her parents, they aren't a part of this story, and I want to respect that. And I also want to say that it's okay from the outside to say what you would or would not do in this situation, what would or would not happen if this was you or your kid, and that exercise is useless, and I don't want to hear about it, okay? Good talk. This is about Rachel. Larry kept Rachel injured. He kept her believing she needed the treatment while neglecting to actually treat the thing that was very, very wrong with her. He told her over and over and over when other doctors said it was nuts to continue gymnastics that nothing more could go wrong with her spine. But after she finished college, talking with other doctors, it became very clear that was not the case. Got another MRI, and they popped it up on that little lighted screen, and it was absolutely shattered. And it had crumbled in on itself. I think they had determined that I had like 60% paralysis in my legs because it had just permanently damaged the spinal cord and I was just like Larry Larry told me that the damage wasn't getting any worse but it was my back was not stable it was moving um and I remember them being we need immediate action we need to go into surgery we need to fix this or this you're not going to be able to have kids you're not going to be able to walk in five years um and so a month later I was getting a four level spinal fusion and that's where they go in and they basically take all your discs out and they line everything back up. They they put a bunch of rods and a bunch of screws in. And um, it's a very intense surgery. I think I was the youngest in the surgery by like 29 years. Larry made this about Rachel's strength when her strength was never in question. If strength is what you can bear, what you can smile through, what you can survive, Rachel is strong and always has been. Rachel can forgive Larry. She can let go of the anger. She can go to therapy. She can write a book. These are all things she's done. And these, too, are different feats of strength. Whatever Rachel does, she's going to be doing these things with screws and bolts holding her spinal column together. A gymnast no longer able to touch her toes. Rachel is used to being very good at things. Rachel's used to reaching career highs when her spine was crumbling in on itself. Rachel's one of those people who is naturally intrinsically driven, whose natural predilections found the perfect sport to thrive in. Rachel is now a gymnastics coach. 
She has a degree in child psych and social work, fields she gravitated towards before she even recognized herself as a survivor. She's writing, she's advocating, she's getting married to her college sweetheart, who was also a college athlete. It's really cute. She's still trying to land it, still trying to be the best, still smiling through it, making it look easy even though it's anything but. And in that way, Rachel is still always a gymnast. This has been terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm Nora McInerney. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Our assistant producer is Marcel Malikibu. Hannah Meacock Ross is our project manager. Raymond Tungakar is a good friend of ours, and he helped on this episode. Thank you, buddy. Rachel has written a book. It is called Abused, Surviving Sexual Assault in a Toxic Gymnastics Culture, and it is out April 12, 2019. I have another book recommendation for you. It's called You All Grow Up and Leave Me. It's by Piper Weiss. It's a memoir. It's the story of the author looking back at her high school tennis coach and his inappropriate obsession with his athletes. And it's, it's great. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. We are a production of American Public Media, Studio 3A.